0: Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I don't know if you saw out there, but we've got some flowers, some coffee, some goodies, snacks. Please help yourself to that. Take a flower on the way out. And um, we just want to say a special thank you to all of our moms. Mom, if you're watching the service, Happy Mother's Day uh, to you too. wish we could have spent it together. But it is what it is, right? All right. Uh, would you do me a favor? Would you take out your bulletins? I'm going to go over a couple of quick announcements. And let me start off with an apology. All right? In your, in your bulletin is a list for cleanup day, which is next Saturday. All right? I made a joke that was a little off color last week about um, people who were not members. So I forget. I've been in this church for over 20 years. And sometimes I forget that, um, especially we have some new people who probably don't, don't know my, my sense of humor and everything like that. So um, that was a complete joke, though, just a, kind of a, a friendly joke and everything like that. But that was in poor taste. You know, if I could take that back, I would. So I apologize for that. But uh, we do hope that you do take a look at this list and see where you can help out and, with the cleanup. If you have something on here, and say you're not available on Saturday, but you want to do it a different day of the week or in three weeks, let us know that, and we'll mark it down and, and make sure nobody else takes that. But we'll be out here Saturday working on cleaning up the church, and these are the things that we're going to do. We're, gonna, we're hoping somebody takes the teen room. We're, we're hoping somebody takes the gold room, you know, takes a room takes a magic eraser and rubs off the, the marks on the walls and wash, washes down the walls and cleans the tables and everything else. We just kind of want to do a spring cleaning for the church and, and get ready. So if you would pray about that and think about that, and once again, I will apologize. I will never apologize if I offend you because it's the Word of God, but if I say something that's from me and I offend you, I will apologize for that. So sorry about that. All right, other things. New membership, if you're interested in that, uh, please see me. We have four people, I think, that are interested in membership. So uh, right now I'm just trying to get with everybody and see when it works out in a schedule. Um, Our uh, talents money, so not too long ago if you're new, we handed out an envelope with $10, $20, or $50, and we asked you to, to double it, triple it. Whatever you could do for a certain ministry. We're not gonna bring this back into the church. We are gonna bring it back in, but we're gonna send it right out to some ministry that you wanna raise that money for. So we're asking if you are done with your talent money to turn that in by the end of this month. By the end of this month. If you're still struggling, what am I gonna do with the talents money? We're planning a praise and worship service here pretty soon, and we're gonna need people to help out with that. Maybe you can donate your money towards that for the food. We're gonna have a meal too. And then ask people to sing, use their talents for singing. The praise band will be here worshiping. And then we're also going to have a meal uh, so we can use your money towards that. And then we'll take a, a love offering and see if we can, we can uh, bless some ministry with that. So if you're interested in that, make sure you see me. And then the final thing that I wanted to mention is our kids' free night. It's the third next Saturday, right? It's next Saturday. We want to do this to give you parents a break from your kids so that you can get away, whether it's by yourself and you take a nap or whether it's with your spouse and you go out for a date night. We just want to give you a free night. We'll take your kids and have fun with them. We usually play hide-and-go-seek and sardines and things like that. So uh, up until like the fifth grade, you're welcome to come out and even beyond the fifth grade, really. Uh, no no uh, like 18-year-olds, all right? You got to keep them. But all right, would you stand with me? Also too you notice there's a women's ministry calendar in there. Make sure you you pay attention to our calendar too. We have things that are on there that you don't want to miss out. But let's pray for our service. I'm also going to pray for our moms in here. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the ability to gather together in celebration of our moms. Lord, and, and that term mom really we want to celebrate anybody who is a mom in any way, right? We don't know there are people who who have adopted families, kids. We know there are moms who mentor kids in our school systems uh, and in this church and in many different ways. So, Father, we just thank you for their sacrifices, for their leadership, and for all that they do. Lord, I pray that you would just especially bless them today. I pray that you would remind them that we are grateful for them and that uh, we praise you for giving us all a mom in our life, Lord. Father, I pray for this coming service. Lord, have your right of way. Father, we want to be honoring to you. We want to give you praise and worship. We want our attention to be drawn to you and to only you. So, Father, would you help the praise team to lead us in that? Would you speak through them, Lord, through the words of their songs, Speak to our hearts. Father, and would you continue that with your word, Lord, that we share today? I pray that you'd speak mightily through your word, Lord. And we pray that our hearts would be soft, our eyes and ears would be open, Lord, and that uh, we would hear from you today. Lord, challenge us, transform us, make us look more like you, Father. Father, I pray that everything would run smoothly, that you'd give our sound team wisdom. I pray that you'd be with our team kids and our children's church workers. Lord, give them the words to say. Help them to explain the good news in a way that these kids can grab onto, Lord. Lord, we just love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: I am free at last, he has ransomed me. His, His grace, grace was was deep. while I was a saint, to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he. Sunset for you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you, and within you, he is with you, he is with you, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, and your weeping, and rejoicing, he is for you, he is for you, I to you. The Lord turned His face toward
0: Well, we're going to be in First Samuel one today. First Samuel one. So, if you turn in your Bibles or on your devices to First Samuel one, anybody watch the Shark Tank in here? anybody know what I'm talking about? Five people. All right, some more. All right, Shark Tank. You know what I'm talking about. All right. So, we used to watch it pretty regularly. We haven't watched it so much anymore. I don't know, I think I kind of get burnt out with shows. But I used to really like this. Uh, if you don't know what the Shark Tank is about, basically, you would come to the Shark Tank, to this show with an idea or a business proposal, and you would pitch it. You would pitch it to five millionaires, and I think there might even be some billionaires on the show, and in hopes of getting a deal with one of those people that were on that show. All right, so... Um, What used to really frustrate me about that show is people would bring these ideas and these inventions and these things that they came up with, and I would be like, man, I could have thought of that. Or maybe I even did have a thought about that, but I didn't do anything about it. Uh, Tipsy Elves. Tipsy Elves was this group that came, and they sold ugly Christmas sweaters. That was their business, ugly Christmas sweaters. They were making $600,000 a year doing that. Their business was when they came to the Shark Tank. Now they're making, they got a deal, now they're making $125 million a year. I could have thought of that, right? How many of you have thought about ugly Christmas sweaters or participated in that? The original Comfy, it's a wearable blanket with a hood, right? Does anybody have a Comfy? All right, you've seen it though, right? Sales today, $150 million a year. That was an idea in the Shark Tank. Bombas, they're just nice socks, right? They're nice socks and they give money to the homeless or give socks to the homeless. I could have come up with that. That's an idea that I could have come up with $225 million a year now. And I'm like, man. So that's kind of frustrating when you're watching that show and you think about those things. Sometimes, though, there's, there's new ideas that come out, and you're like, wow, I never would have thought of that. Sometimes there's interesting ideas, weird ideas. I want to tell you about one that came out about five years ago, and it was pitched by this woman, and it was called The Skinny Mirror. The Skinny Mirror. Does anybody remember The Skinny Mirror? Am I the only one? All right. Well, good. I get to share this with you. All right. So this lady found out that the mirror she had was what's called a fat mirror, and it actually was adding 10 pounds onto her. You know how like the camera adds 10 pounds onto you, they say. Well, there are some mirrors just the way they're made that are kind of do this too. They're just curved a little bit, and so they add 10 pounds on you. You might have a fat mirror in your home. All right. I am going to tell myself that I have a fat mirror that adds like 20 pounds on to me. But this lady thought, man, why don't we make a skinny mirror? Let's make a mirror that takes 10 pounds off instead of adding it on there. So that's what she set out to do. So the the mirror uses curved glass, and it makes you appear. If you ever been to a carnival and you see those mirrors that are different shaped and have different curves? It really distorts the body. Well, this one just makes you look more flattering, a little bit thinner, all right? So she did a study and in uh, Sweden. They installed these in department stores near dressing rooms. And guess what, went, guess what happened to sales of clothing? They went up, right, 20%. So they rose up 20% because people would try on the jeans. They'd go in front of the skinny mirror, and they'd be like, man, I look good, right? So interesting invention. Um, I thought it's kind of deceptive, right? You're kind of giving people a false sense of reality. But she did, in all fairness, put the word skinny on the bottom. So if you, if you ever go into a department, they are in some department stores right now. If you see the word skinny on there, just be aware of that. But people uh, know about these mirrors. I thought they'd be upset about them because it's kind of, like I said, deceptive. But they're perfectly fine with them. They're okay with it. And some even, like, even want to buy them for in their homes, right? I'd, I'd rather have everybody buy, like, skinny glasses. so That way I look skinny to everybody, not just myself, but um, I guess it's not surprising in the culture that we live in today that people are, are okay with seeing that something that's not really reality, right? Something that's not really true. I think there's a part in all of us where we would rather um, not face the truth if we didn't have to there are things that we like to hear from people, and sometimes when we hear the truth, we kind of get mad or, or get uncomfortable and, and defensive. The book of James tells us, though, that God's Word is a mirror to our souls, a mirror to our hearts, a mirror that we can look into, and it tells us the truth about who we are. There is no deception in it when we read the Word of God and we compare it to our lives. Sometimes, though, we look in the mirror and we see that maybe we're desperate or we're in a, a desperate circumstance. And the easy thing to do is to hide that mirror, is to go away from that mirror, right, and try to forget that. We do things to try and take our mind off of that, those moments in our lives or those things that we see in the mirror, right? We turn on the TV, maybe that will block out what we're thinking, we, we turn to alcohol, we turn to drugs, we turn to eating, we turn to shopping, we turn to a million different things, we turn to people in hopes of blocking that out, that desperation that we feel in our hearts and in our souls. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what we want to look at today, and that's what we want to talk about. I, I want us to learn something today, something very important, and that is that sometimes desperation can be a gift can be a gift for us right sometimes we look at ourselves and we see something about ourselves that just doesn't line up with the Word of God just doesn't make us feel right maybe makes us a little bit desperate while it's difficult to look at those things and, and realize that desperation that desperation can lead to change though right that desperation can lead to change. In that way, it can be a gift. It can be a gift. It can be a gift that God uses, that God gives us to make some changes in our lives, to motivate us to make some changes in our lives. Sometimes there aren't any clear changes to be made, though. Right? We're in those situations, and there is not an easy change that we can just make and and make things all better, right? In those moments desperation can be something that just draws us to God though right in the heat of those storms and in those difficult times they can draw us to to just kneel down before our Lord and Savior and get in communion with him Right? We want to experience God's power, right? but that doesn't come until we realize our lack of power and our dependence on Him. Sometimes that's what desperation does. That's what sometimes desperation can lead us to. We want to experience God's victory, right? But that doesn't happen until we're vulnerable and until we surrender our lives. Throughout Scripture, God is drawn to the desperate. And I think there are many in here that could probably testify to that today. In your most desperate moments, God became more real than He had ever been before when you turned to Him. Maybe you had been ignoring Him. Maybe you're just living your day, right? Every day, day to day, doing your thing and everything. And maybe all of a sudden something came up and it just wasn't working anymore. You couldn't keep in control of it anymore. Things were just flying out of whack. You couldn't fix it. You needed help and so you cried out and you discovered God was real and that He had a heart for you and that He'd be there with you through that struggle, through that desperation. Today we're, we're going to be looking at a story of desperation in 1 Samuel 1. And I'm sure there are moms that are out here that struggle or are struggling with desperation today. This is directed to the moms, but this is also directed to anybody that is struggling with that. Moms know what it's like to feel worn out and helpless, though, right? Especially moms. Do you know what it's like to feel uncertain and inadequate? Maybe there's nights with a lot of crying over things that are going on that are out of your control. Maybe they're sleepless nights. Again, things are out of your control. And there's a million things calling for your attention, right? And you just don't have enough to meet them all. There are are women in here that wish they were moms. I struggle with Mother's Day because I want to celebrate moms, but I also know there are women that, want to be moms and for whatever reason are not there are moms that are blessed with kids and husbands that push them to their physical emotional and mental limit right then there are the single moms who are trying to do it all i don't know how single moms manage to keep it all together to work to to take care of their kids to do everything that they need to do there are there are grandmothers who now are back in that single mom stage and again I don't know how you do it I hope that as a church we are here for you I hope that you will let down your your pride and you will reach out to us for help whenever you need it. You need your oil change, I guarantee you there are some guys in here that will change your oil, right? You're struggling with what to do with your house and anything like that, we will help you. Uh, I've had uh, grandmothers call me at my work and, my, and job and, and need help because they're not sure what to deal with a, a, a plugged up sewer line, right? If you need help, reach out to your church family. That's what we're here for that's why we do the kids free night right we want to give you a break we know what it's like right atavi and i lived that we know what it's like to just be with your kids and need a break from them we were lucky because we had grandparents here and we were to drop them off to them some of you don't have that or might not have that so drop them off to us next saturday night like i said we'll play we'll play games with them and You just have some fun and and get away, all right? Ladies, I know there are endless mental comparisons, right? And I know that you know that you shouldn't make those comparisons, but I know that sometimes you do. I know there are feelings of inadequacy when you are giving your best. I know there are long nights Long nights looking at days that you know are just going to be as long. There's a lot of desperation that can be found in the best motherhood. All right, 1 Samuel 1. We meet a woman named Hannah. Hannah, she's not a mother yet. When we meet her, when we come into contact her and start reading about her. In fact, this is a big part of where desperation comes from, right? You know, a lot of you know the story. She longs to be a mom. She's married to a man named Elkanah. In verse 2, it tells us a bit about this family. It says, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. What most likely happened here, and this is just a guess, don't take this as the gospel, but what most likely happened here was Elkanah married Hannah, and Hannah was unable to have children. So Elkanah eventually married Peninnah, who was able to bear children for him. Side note, this is one example of polygamy mentioned in the scriptures, right? Sometimes people read about things in the Bible, and they think since it was in the Bible, that the Bible endorses that. No, that's not the case here, right? Polygamy in just about every instance that I could think about in the Bible is a really bad idea. So the Bible, just because it mentions it, is not saying that it 's a good thing. It, it, every time that I can think of it, just brings havoc to families god 's plan is for one man to be united with one woman, right, United together for life, and it is not reflected in polygamy. I saw a state that is moving towards allowing polygamy in the news here recently, another one. And I was like, ah, that's just going to cause a lot of heartache and problems. But Hannah is in this difficult situation. She's struggling with infertility, right? One in six couples in our day and age struggle with infertility. Reading up on it, a doctor pointed out that infertility is one of those things that are particularly hard to deal with because it's not seen. If you go through a divorce, if you're going through a a physical illness, a lot of times people know about that. People see that. People will come up to you and support you. People will come up and comfort you. But when you're going through something like infertility, a lot of times it's not known. And so you're usually left to deal with it on your own. In the world that Hannah lived in, it, it was even more so an issue. There was a tremendous amount of pressure that was put on women back in biblical times to bear children. Social and economical, even spiritual implications. To be a mom was considered to be a woman's primary purpose for living. It was the way that she could best contribute to society back in this time. That's how, what it was thought to be. To be barren was, was thought to be cursed by God. To be barren was thought, mm, when you saw somebody, you would think, man, what did they do that God is cursing them and not allowing to them to have children? You know what, though? What's interesting is if you make a list of women who are barren in the Bible, you will see righteous women, right? Abraham's wife, Sarah. Rebecca was Isaac's wife. Rachel, Jacob's wife. All three of these righteous, good women, right? And yet all three struggled with infertility. Even Elizabeth, the the mother of John the Baptist, struggled with infertility. All of these women struggled, and it had nothing to do with their spirituality or doing something wrong or being cursed, right? In fact, they were blessed. Yet the world around them saw them in this way. Verse 3. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's army at the tabernacle. This yearly trip would be about 20 miles long on camel on foot. However, they were taking it 20 miles to to worship the Lord. And I want you to remember that distance that Hannah would have to, to travel. The priests of the Lord at that time were two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. On the day Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. And check this out. Verse 6. So Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. So here's another dynamic to add to the story, right? Not only is Hannah dealing with this infertility issue, but now there's somebody constantly rubbing it in her face, right? And it's not just another person outside the family. It's the same person that is also sleeping with her husband, right? Another person right in the same family. Another person who is able to give her husband something that she couldn't. And that person is taunting her and rubbing it in her face. Verse 7, year after year was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. As they're going 20 miles, right, not in a car. This wasn't a 20-minute trip, right? As they're traveling 20 miles, she's being taunted along this journey. And then it says, each time. Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Have you ever been there where you can't even eat, right? Year after year, taunting, Hannah was crushed, crushed. I think sometimes we read these stories and we don't grasp the seriousness of them because we know how it come, turns out, right, and we skip over that. But I guarantee you, Hannah was crushed, Reduced to tears, to the point of despair that she couldn't eat. I've only been to that point in my life a few times, but I know what that's like. That's how upset she is. Penina is making life difficult. Some of you know the desperation that comes in this form, right? A difficult person in your life, just making things miserable. Lord, I pray that none of us are that difficult person in somebody else's life. I hope we're the exact opposite of that, no matter how much we dislike somebody, no matter if we think that they're our enemy. I hope that our life is not about making life miserable for them. But in this case, Hannah's dealing with this person, right? Or maybe you are, and they, they're in your life, Right? You can't escape them. Maybe they're a person at work. Maybe they're a person in your family or outside your immediate family, maybe in your extended family, and they have you worn out. You've tried to fight back. You've tried to change things, and, and nothing has worked. And, and here's the big challenge in verse 7. I don't know if you saw this. It's captured at the start. It says, Year after year. Oh, year after year, it was the same. I think that phrase drips of desperation, right? Like I can handle something if it just happens and I have to deal with it in that moment and then I'm done with it, right? I can, ha- I can handle something if it's just going to be like a week or it's just going to be, you know, that one time. But when it's year after year, that brings you to the point of desperation. That's where, that's where desperation grows, doesn't it? In verse eight, her husband tries to make her feel better, tries being the key word, tries to comfort his wife. "Why are you crying, Hannah?" Oh, Hannah would ask, "Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? "You have me." You have this, right? You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? And Hannah would say, no, right? Addie and my anniversary was yesterday. 17 years married to my beautiful wife. I praise God for her, right? I can tell you from 17 years about after 15, you know, I could recognize that this this was these were rookie mistakes that Elkanna made, right? These are not good things to say to your wife. I recognize that with my 17 years of experience. There are some, some bad things going on right here. You know, you think Elkanah would know better because he has two wives, right? You think he'd learn faster, but apparently he did not. If you're not married or you're newly married, I want you to take notes, guys, all right? You're not married, or you're newly married, or you're just bad at it, being, bad at being a husband and need some experience, right? Need to grow a little bit. Take some notes, all right? Elkana sees that Hannah is upset and starts off by saying she shouldn't be upset. All right? Ricky mistake number one. That is a, a bad idea. Don't, don't do that. Don't tell your wife that she shouldn't be upset when she's upset, all right? I know that. Don't do that. If, if your wife is telling you how she's feeling, don't say, oh, well, you don't need to feel that way. Instead, feel this way. It just does not work out. All right. Rookie mistake number two. He tries to assume that the solution to her problem is him. Right. All right. And I just, it's just like cringed when I read that. Like, you know, that's like a guy saying, honey, you won the husband lottery. You know, what, what more could you ask for? Right. What more could you need? You have me. Rookie mistake number two. All right, I I know he's trying to make her feel better, right? He's trying to do that. And and guys, we we want to make our boys feel better. Just sometimes we're just not the smartest when we do things like that. We're, We're good at other things, but sometimes those things we're not we're not the best. But what's he doing? He he doesn't understand why she's feeling the way she. He doesn't really grasp it, and so. What's he do? He makes her even feel more isolated because he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the desperation that she's carrying. Why why be sad just because you can't have children? I don't know, maybe because it's like the most important thing back in this time, right? Now, I think one of the reasons, too, that Elkanah responds in this way to her is that my guess in the past, she had looked to him to be that source of joy and that source of hope early on in their marriage, probably when it was just them two, right? And they're struggling with infertility and he's caring about her and loving her regardless. She looked to him, I guarantee you, for that source of hope. And I'm sure he said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. We have each other, right? And I, I'm guessing that it was part of her that as a wife just wanted to find strength in her husband, to find hope, to find compassion, to find joy in her husband, right? And so she's looking to him for that reassurance and he's not doing a good job, right? Now, um, Angela Thomas is a Christian author and she kind of describes this point in a mom's life, this desperation point. She says this, listen to this. Mothering requires everything, but eventually everything given plus little replenished equals desperately empty. And so I held the empty cup. Remember when we talked about the cup in here and, and where we get it filled? So I held the empty cup of my soul out to my husband and begged him to fill it. I held it out to a bigger house and a minivan, but only Jesus could fill it. I tried my children and my girlfriends, but again, they could not fill the place designed by God himself. I had been mistaken. I thought that the goal of motherhood was to be a super mom. But in fact, the goal of mothering is to be a woman of God to your children. A woman of God intimately connected to her Savior. A woman of God who can love and give. Check this out. From the overflowing cup that God has filled. Why is you will not have your cup filled by your husband he cannot fill your cup you will not have it filled by your kids a diploma a career whatever you are looking at to fill your cup to fill you up they will all pale in comparison to god only he can fill your cup and i guarantee you if you can get into his presence and spend time with him he will not just fill it up he will fill it up overflowing overflowing and so hannah is desperately empty and her husband can't fill her up he can't do it so what does she do with her desperation desperation in that moment well, here's what she doesn't do, and this is something that sometimes we need to be careful of, right? Sometimes when things aren't going our way and we, sense this, we start to sense that desperation, right, is settling in, sometimes we blame God for it. Well, God is not coming through for me in the way that I expected. I had this plan. It made sense. It seemed right to me. I had my story planned out. This should have happened by now, But it hasn't. And so we can blame God. Sometimes we listen to the enemy. What's the enemy saying to you during those moments? He's whispering in your ear God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. And so in that desperate moment, we need to be really careful that we don't push the God of the universe out of the picture, but instead cling to the God of the universe, draw near to the God of the universe. Verse 9, it says, Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. The phrase got up right there is not a phrase that is talking about posture. It's not like she was sitting and she just stood up and she went to pray. No, there's more to it. Instead, it's this idea that she had enough of living this way and she was going to change it. She was going to do something different. She was going to go down a different path, try a different path. So she got up, she arose, and she went and got into the presence of the Lord. She started to pray, and she prays this desperate prayer. It's a prayer that you can only pray when you've tried to do things your way a hundred times, and it just hasn't worked. When you've attempted to fix things and it's only gotten messier. It's the kind of prayer that when you've tried to ignore it for as long as possible, but now it's just falling apart and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You just reach a point year after year where it's the same. And you've got to do something different because it's just not working. So what do you do? You arise. You get up. And you go and you get into God's presence. Let me say this again. Desperation can be a gift from God. Maybe not a gift from God, but he can turn it into a gift. Because sometimes people will only turn to God when they're at rock bottom. When there's nothing else for them. When they have nowhere else to turn that's not a bad thing that in that moment in that moment of desperation a person turns to God right that's a good thing he's a father that's how Jesus taught to pray to God is as a father as a loving father he's not the type of father says oh you're here now you want my help now right no he's a loving father He sees that desperation, and he's drawn to it. He hears that cry, and that's what he responds to. Verse 10 describes this moment. Hannah was deep in anguish, crying bitterly. Have you ever cried bitterly as she prayed to the Lord? The idea of crying bitterly here indicates she was making a noise oftentimes when I pray, I pray in my head, right? When I'm alone, when I'm praying to God and I'm alone, I pray in my head. But she was, she was praying. She was weeping. She was wailing. She's crying out to God audibly. Verse 11, in her prayer, she prays and she makes this vow. She says, O Lord of heaven's armies, If you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. Hannah says to God, look, if you allow me to have a son, I will put him in ministry. I will give him back to you. He will serve you as a priest. Now, he couldn't be a priest because he was a Levite, right? In order to be a priest, if you were not of the tribe of Levi, you would have to take what was called like a Nazarite vow. People would sometimes take these vows as a special devotion to God. And one of the things of the Nazarite vow was you would not cut your hair. If you remember Samson, he was part of this when he was a judge. But Hannah says, look, I will give him back to you. Now, when we read this, at first it sounds like she's negotiating with God. Like, you do this for me, God, and I'll do this for you. But here's the thing. God does not negotiate. God is a giver. He's not a negotiator. You can't negotiate with somebody, with someone who doesn't need anything. You have nothing to negotiate with, right? Right? You don't have anything that he needs to trade. So this isn't a negotiation. Instead, what you have here is a surrender. Do you hear that when she says that? She's saying, I will give him to you. I've been asking for a son. I've been asking for a child. I want a child, but no, he will be yours. There's a difference. The gift of desperation can lead us to a place of surrender. And that's what we have here. Desperate prayers should first and foremost be directed, they should turn our attention towards God. She looks at him, she calls out to him, right? She calls out to him as Lord of heaven's army. It's an interesting way to pray. But she's recognizing his power, his authority, and his control. She recognized she's in a situation where she has no control. And she's turning to the person that is in control, that has all of the control. He can do it. The very next phrase, I love this. She recognizes that God can see her. You ever wonder that? Does God really see me? Six billion people, seven billion people. She asks God humbly to look at her. And I love this in this prayer because somewhere along the line she has learned equality about God that sometimes we struggle to grasp onto. That the God of the universe who holds the world in his hands. Last week we said the world is actually his footstool, right? And he is the God who knows when a single hair falls from our head. He is the God who keeps track of your tears in a bottle. That's scripture. He is a God who looks and sees Hannah. He is a God who looks and sees us too. Amen? Now, as the story goes, you have Hannah praying for a son, desperate for a son. She prays and she talks to Eli. And then I want you to notice this. It's at the end of verse 18. Check this verse out. She went back, after she talks to God and Eli, the priest, she went back and began to eat and she was no longer sad do you get that this is big this is big because her circumstances didn't change at all right her circumstances didn't change at all but her heart did the bible says that her face was no longer downcast it's not like God said, hey, answered her and said audibly, hey, you're going to have a child. Don't worry about it. I got this. Right? He doesn't give her that. Her circumstances don't change. And yet, her soul changes. Her heart changes. She has a peace, a peace enough that she can go and eat. This is, this is what I want for you if you are in a desperate place today. I know exa- this exact feeling of what it's like to be right in the middle of a storm. I've experienced it at desperate times in my life, at a time when I thought I may have killed somebody and I didn't know what was going on. The God of the universe changed my heart and gave me a peace about it. And he can do the same for you during the storm, even when your circumstances haven't changed. When I I see you, when somebody reaches out for prayer and I see that you're in the storm and you're dealing with that difficult situation, that you're desperate for God to move and to do something, this is what I pray for you. This is my prayer for you, that you would seek him that you would turn to him completely, that you would grab onto him, that you would grab onto that rock, that you would be in that strong tower, right? That you would be able to lay whatever you have down at his feet and entrust it to him no matter what happens from here on out. This is the place that you need to get to, that I want you to get to. There's something special about God's, presence and surrendering things to him there's something about truly trusting him my friends things might not change today things might not change next week things might not change at all but i promise you if you can look to god you will find hope you will find peace you will find strength no matter what is going on a peace, a peace that you cannot explain. It does not make sense with what you're going through. You can experience that. He will get you through this. Hannah goes home and eventually she conceives and gives birth to a son. She names him Samuel. The name Samuel means heard by God or asked of, asked of God. Every time she speaks his name, she's reminded. That the God of the universe heard and responded to her and rescued her in that desperate situation. We don't know how long it took for Hannah to conceive, but what we do know is, is that the perfect timing. Eli's sons were horrible priests, they, they were bad, right? They were wicked, and they were in a place that they would lead the nation of Israel. But then Samuel came into the picture at just the right timing, was raised by Eli, was raised to be a man of God. And in God's timing, he allowed Samuel to become the next high priest. He grew up and became a great priest for Israel. He rescued the people and he anointed King David. And so what is not obvious in the story was that God was working things together for good. Right? Romans 8, 28. She couldn't see that. She didn't know any of that. Right? But she trusted him. Would you stand with me? My friends, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe it's nothing right now. But if you are at a point where you are desperate, I hope this speaks to you. If you come to a point in the future, I hope this speaks to you. God works things out for good. He can take whatever situation you're dealing with and work it out for good. He may not change it, but he'll give you the strength and peace and power to get through it. He might change it. I don't know. But I know that through it, he can change you. And that's more important. He can change you. Get into his presence. Get on your knees. Weep and wail and pray and leave it in his hands. Get together some brothers and sisters in here. Get them to pray for you. Get them to fast for you. Right? Have them join in on you with what you're dealing with. Don't face it alone. Don't turn your back on God. Don't push him away. Don't blame him. He is a good God He is a loving God, and he has the best for you if you will trust him. That is my hope for you. If that you're in the storms or in a desperate place, you find yourself in a place like this, clinging to the rock. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, again, we thank you for these mothers. Lord, I know, I don't know what they deal with, but I can guess and I can kind of see from the moms that have been in my life. Lord, first of all, I thank you for them. We all thank you for our moms. But, but Lord, I pray that you would, you would especially bless them today. I pray that if their cup is empty today, that you would fill it and fill it overflowing Lord, I pray that they wouldn't turn to a husband, they wouldn't turn to a friend, they wouldn't took to, turn to their kids, Lord. No, I pray that they would only turn to you or primarily turn to you and that you would just fill them overflowing. Lord, I pray the same thing for anybody else that's in a desperate situation today. Lord, I, I can think of three or four right now. Lord, and I pray that you would just be in those situations And that these people would just be able to lay them down at your feet and entrust them to you. Father, we know you're faithful. We know that you care about us. We know that you love us. Would would you help us to just be reminded of that today? Lord, we praise you. We give you all honor. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. And you're five minutes early in case you're going out to eat. Got you out of here a little early so you can beat the crowds.